finding Jesus in the Old Testament, and for some that seems like a contradiction in terms, because Jesus in the Old Testament, wait, Jesus isn't even in the Old Testament. And you would be right. In fact, the name of Jesus is not found anywhere in the Old Testament, except in, in, pro, uh, in a prophetic sense, uh, referring to him like, you know, the Son of Man, for example. But the, Jesus is not found in the Old Testament. However, God's plan since the foundation of the world was that he would send his son Jesus. And so we can see Jesus on every page in the scripture. Jesus was God's plan A. He was, he was not, a, you know, some backup plan. This was the plan from the foundations of the earth. And we're going to see that very, very clearly today. Now, what we're going to be doing is looking at uh, three different um, passages in Scripture. And I've never actually preached a sermon like this um, where I didn't even have sermon notes for you here this morning because it's like, I'm not sure. Everybody's going to probably write something different down. That doesn't mean that I don't want you to take notes. It means that everybody probably has something different today that you're going to be writing down and remembering and taking away with you. I even uh, thought about, uh, you know, putting these big passages of Scripture that we're going to be looking at on the screen, and I decided against that. I, I much prefer this morning for everybody to have a Bible in their hand and be reading along. Now, um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles underneath the chairs. Um, if there's not one in the row, I mean, don't feel guilty. I'd like for you to raise your hand right now. If you can't, grab a Bible around you. And there's plenty spread out around the room. We'd love to even bring them up. Everybody have a Bible? Anybody need one? Don't feel guilty about this. This is not awkward. We'll get you one. But I want everybody to have a Bible this morning. Okay. We're going to be reading... Uh, from our key text this morning uh, is in the book of Leviticus. Now, how many times have you ever heard a sermon preached where like the key text is from the book of Leviticus, right? It's almost an ignored uh, book of the Bible. And in fact, if you aren't familiar with the Bible, I think there's a few things that, that we need to kind of clear up before we jump into the, the book of Leviticus. Really what we're talking about this morning is sin. I'm just going to come right out and say it. What we're talking about this morning is sin. And I, I thought about bringing a pulpit up here because I think a sermon on sin preaches better if you can, like, pound a pulpit, right? But we don't have one, so um, we aren't going to be pounding pulpits. But we're, we're talking about sin today. And in order to understand sin, I think it is key, even paramount, um, critical, that we understand God's holiness. So before we even start, I just want to kind of help us to focus on the idea that God is holy. Um, the Bible says that when you, when you think about God's holiness, in Him there is no blemish at all. Meaning that God is perfect. He's never made a mistake. He's never thought about a bad thought. He, uh, a bad word has never slipped from His mouth. He's never um, had unrighteous indignation towards anyone, God is always right 100% of the time. Now, when you think about that view of God, I want, to, I want you to picture, you know, this is the standard, this is what we're, what we're judging ourselves off of, this holiness of God. In Him there is no blemish, there is no wrong. And then you think about yourself. 
And I think about myself. I think those things I can't say about myself. I know that I am a sinner. And I hope that, that, that you, if you're honest with yourself here this morning, you can say, I know I'm a sinner too. Um, we allow things to go through our minds that, that ought not be there. We say things that ought not be there. We've felt hatred. We've, we've felt unforgiveness. We've, we've had sin in our lives. Our eyes have been unpure. Our hands have been unpure. Our, our lips have been unpure. And when you think about this contrast between a holy God and sinful people, it becomes pretty obvious that there's a gap. This gap in the middle is an unbridgeable gap because there's no way that you and I can, can do anything about our sin. Oh, many have tried. Many have tried over the years to try and bridge this gap by their own personal righteousness, by, you know, if I can just help as many old ladies across the street, then I can bridge the gap and God will find in His heart enough uh, you know, compassion because I'm such a good person. I've covered over my own sin. But the problem is that's a tainted view of God's holiness and it's a tainted view of our sin. The Bible's very clear that there's nothing that we can do to separate this sin gap. And so as we talk about the Old Testament, particularly the book of Leviticus, like we're going to be looking at here this morning, what we're really reading is... God's design to atone for, to cover over man's sin. This is God's attempt or his plan to not hold the sin gap against man so that he can be in fellowship with them. But what we have to understand is that the plan that we're reading about in the book of Leviticus, and what we read in the Old Testament was not God's A plan. This is, this is just a foreshadowing of His ultimate plan. And you have to get this. When we read in Leviticus, or when we read about the Old Testament law, this was simply a stopgap. This was simply God his temporary plan because the ultimate plan was going to come when he would send his one and only son, Jesus. And friends, we live in the day of grace. We live in the day of Jesus. We live in the day where, where we can look back like we're going to today on the law of the Old Testament and we can see things about it, but it is not our law anymore. We live under the law of grace and I hope that that resounds in your heart this morning as we read about this, the significance of what Jesus did. Now, what we're going to be looking at in Leviticus is really a, a foreshadowing or a picture of this ultimate sacrifice when Christ would come. And it centers around um, what's called the Day of Atonement. Okay? Um, the Day of Atonement is a, a significant Jewish holiday. There are seven... Um, really significant days that, that on the Jewish calendar that are, that are very important. The Day of Atonement is also called Yom Kippur. Can everybody say Yom Kippur? Shalom, thank you. Uh, Yom Kippur. It comes 10 days after the Jewish New Year. Okay, the Jewish New Year um, is actually in the fall. It's in September. 
Um, this year it's on September 24th. Uh, that, the, the Jewish New Year is called Rosh Hashanah. Everybody say Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Rosh Hashanah begins with the blowing of the shofar. If you, if you guys kind of get a picture of this big kind of ram's horn, and they blow the shofar. And it, it's an announcement. It's a proclamation. There's a new year happening. But with the blowing of the shofar begins ten days of introspection for the nation. So each person, when you hear the, the shofar blow, um, it's an announcement. It's, uh, it's getting your attention. God's got your attention, and now you begin 10 days of doing business in your heart. It's solemn. It's introspective. And what you're thinking about is, how have I sinned against God? How, what, what kind of things do I have in my life that don't belong there? And then at the end of these 10 days, then uh, we begin the Day of Atonement, which we're going to be reading about in just a moment. The Day of Atonement really centers around the actions and the duties of the high priest on behalf of the nation of Israel. And to understand the high priest, the high priest was, uh, was, was the man Okay, when it came to relating on behalf of the people before God, there were many priests, but there was one high priest. And there was very specific um, regulations in terms of who could be the high priest. They had to be in the line of Aaron, the priestly line. And the, the, the high priestship was passed on from father to son. If you didn't have a son, then there was a... There's a, a a system that they went, uh, went through to, to find the high priest. But the high priest represented the, the most righteous person among the people, but the person that would bear the responsibility and bear the privilege of, of going before God on behalf of the entire nation. It's a huge responsibility. And I think the, next, the, the other description that you need here this morning is uh, we're going to be reading about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was uh, the tent of meeting. It was the, the place that God had prescribed for the nation to meet to worship him. Later on, the tabernacle became permanent and they, it was called the temple. But it was very similar in the layout, in the, in the form. There was an outer meeting area, the, uh, the temple court that that had the, the altar where they would make the sacrifices. And then there was the, uh, in, the, in the tabernacle, there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And once a year, the, the priest would meet in the holy of holies, and the presence of God would be there. We're, you're going to be hearing more about that in a moment. And then the, the, the other thing that we have to address before we can get into the text today is that for many people it's a, it's a stumbling block when you, when you think about the, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. When you, think, uh, when you read through the, the, the book of Leviticus, the book of Exodus, and you hear the way that God told these people to, to worship him, there was always a sacrifice for sin. And for many people, it's a stumbling block. It's like, you know, sacrificing animals, that sounds terrible. It was. 
It was terrible, but you have to remember that this is the way that God told them to do it. It's like um, God's design was, as we'll read later in the book of Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so the way that the universe operates is that where there's a sin gap in a person's life, there has to be a sacrifice to make atonement for that. And I don't understand that, and it's weird. I was thinking about other things, though, that are odd, and you have to, you know, a lot of people think the sacrificial system, that's just, that's just odd. I don't get it. I don't understand. But there's lots of other things that are really odd about the way that God designed the universe that we think about or participate in every day. For example, digestion. Right? It's like, that's odd. That's weird. Like, if I was God and I was designing the world, I, I don't know that digestion would be a part of it. I don't know. Things like childbirth. It's kind of weird. I don't know that I would have done it that way. Let's just be frank. Let's be honest. Sleep. Sleep is odd. That God would design us that half of our lives we're going to be spending asleep. That's odd. And when you think about it, there's lots and lots of different things that you would do differently if you were God and you were designing everything, including the whole idea of the, the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. But guess what? He did it. And I know it's weird, but he did it. And that's the way that he designed it. Was The shedding of blood is an atonement for sin. All right. You ready to read some Leviticus? Woohoo! Leviticus chapter 16 in the Bibles that are under the, the chairs. Uh, this is on page 113. It's the third book of the, of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 16. Now what does your heading say, your, the, the title of this chapter? The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. Now let's stop right there. Uh, these two sons of Aaron approached the Lord in an unworthy fashion. They were basically um, approaching him without the, the, going through the process of atoning for their own sin. Without, you know, they were trying to go to God without being holy. And they died. And God starts this whole conversation by telling Moses, hey guys, there's, there's a way. I don't want to kill you. I want you to hear that as we start this. Um, God, his desire is to meet with them. His desire is that they could come to him. And he's saying, listen to my heart here, guys. Uh, I don't like what happened here when these guys approached me and they had to die because of my holiness. There's a better way, and here's how I want you to do it. Okay. Uh, look at verse 3. It says, This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area. This is God speaking here. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area. With a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, he's to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He's to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. So let's stop here for just a moment. The first thing that we see is that Aaron has to make a sacrifice for his own sin. We're going to read about that later. Next thing, he has to make himself clean. 
and put on the holy, these holy linen garments that it talks about. What are those? Keep your finger here, and I want you to flip back a few pages to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28, which is on page 81 of the, the handout Bibles. Exodus chapter 28. And this is the Lord speaking to Moses about the, the priestly garments. And here's what he says. He says, Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, and he names them, uh, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled men to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so he may serve me as priest. So Moses is is supposed to find the skilled men from among the nation. I think this is, this is so important because he doesn't give the names of these people. He just says, Moses, you know who these people are. They're skilled. God has given them a gift. These particular people are really good at making garments that are beautiful. And God says to Moses, you know who those guys are, those, those guys that I have gifted in this way. Challenge them. Give them this challenge. They're going to make these garments for Aaron so that he can, be, that he can come before me. These are the garments that I want him to wear. And I think this is important because God has gifted each one of you. And it's not just, it's not just that, uh, that, that God you know, talks to pastors or that God uses pastors. No, he uses all of us. And some of these guys are good at making beautiful garments. That was their gift. And God wants to use that. And some of you are good concrete pourers, and God's going to use you. And some of you are good framers, and some of you are good cooks. God says, I want you to use it all. That's how I've designed you. And we need people to do all of those things and to be a part of the whole thing. So they make these garments. Verse 4. These are the garments that they are to make. A breastplate or a breastpiece, an ephod, um, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They're to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve as priests. Have them use gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. And then if you, if you glance through Exodus chapter 28, um, you will read about the way that they were to make these garments. There's a couple things that I'd like to point out. Look at verse 9 of chapter 28. It says, this is talking about the ephod. The ephod. It says, Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth. Six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Well, let's stop there. So these two stones have the names of all of the 12 tribes of Israel. So in a very literal way, as well as figuratively and spiritually, Aaron is carrying the nation on his shoulders before God. Do you see that? I think that's so cool. It's such a cool picture. That right on his shoulders, Aaron's like, I've got the people. I'm their man. I'm taking 
the entire nation. I'm going before God on their behalf. And look at uh, verse 15, talking about the breastplate. It says, Fashion a breastplate for making decisions. The work of a skilled craftsman. Make it like the ephod. And it describes all of this. Look at verse 21. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. So on the shoulders, there's these two stones that have all of the tribes' names on them. And then on the breastplate, there's twelve stones, one for each of the tribes. And so as, as uh, Aaron walks, the high priest walks into the presence of God, he has the nation on his shoulders, and he's going on their behalf before God. I have an artist's rendering of what uh, the high priest may have looked like. This is the priestly garments on the left, and then this is what the high priest would have worn. And a couple things that you can see there. The ephod is that uh, colorful plaid pattern that, uh, that you can see there. That You can see the two stones on his shoulders carrying the names of the tribes and um, the sash around the waist, and then the breastplate that had these stones, precious gems, each one of them different, but each one of them specifically engraved with the names of God's people. And so this is what, this is what the, the high priest is commanded to wear. Now, let's flip back to the book of Leviticus. Again, we're on page 113, Leviticus chapter 16. Let's pick it up again in verse 5. It says, From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he's to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So the very first thing that Aaron has to do, that the high priest has to do before he can enter the presence of God is he has to take care of his own personal sin. And it, to do this, it prescribes the sacrifice that he has to make because there has to be a covering for his own sin because no one is righteous, not even one. The high priest can be the most righteous among all of the people, but guess what? He's a sinner and he is not fit to enter the presence of God without a covering for his own sins. So the first thing we read is that Aaron has to make a sacrifice for himself and for his family. And it says very specifically that these are animals that are chosen from the nation. Let me just say that you don't want to bring your second best before the Lord. It's very, very specific. Uh, the, the, the way that God prescribed to, to choose the animals that would be sacrificed. You want to bring your best before the Lord, just as a general rule of thumb. I mean, if you want just kind of like a bullet point that you can jot down, this is applicable to every aspect of your life. Bring your best before the Lord. Just do it. It's what He deserves and it's what He requires. It's what He wants from us. And so they, they, they don't, uh, you know, save the best, the, the fattest, the most, uh, you know, pristine uh, of the animals for themselves to eat. No, they... They give the very, very best to the Lord. So Aaron covers, he, he makes a sacrifice for his own sin. And then it says in verse 7 that he takes these two goats and he takes them before the tent of meeting. 
And once he's there, it says in verse 8, he is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering, but the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. So there's two things that are going to happen here. These, these goats says that he's going to cast lots. We don't know exactly what that looked like or exactly what that means, but basically this was a way that the, the priests would go before the Lord and say, God, we need your wisdom in this matter, and they would cast these lots, and God would use that as his speaking to them, as his sign. And so they would bring the goats before the Lord, they would cast lots, and one would be chosen as the offering, the sacrifice, and one would be chosen as the scapegoat. So the one, as we fast forward through some of Leviticus chapter 16, let's, uh, let's move uh, to verse 18. It says, Then he, he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and to consecrate it from, unclean, from the uncleanness of the Israelites. So the blood of the sacrifice cleanses everything else that's going to happen. See, the purpose of that one, the one goat, is to, for, for a cleansing. And the second goat is going to be used as a scapegoat. But the, remember this, just as we move forward, that the blood is so important here for the, clean, for, for the cleansing, for the forgiveness Then look at verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat, and he's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all of the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. So get this picture. Okay. Here's this goat. Here's the high priest. The high priest has made a sacrifice that is a covering, a cleansing to, to purify the, the tent of meeting, the place, the, the, all of the, the um, surrounding areas, and now comes this moment when he is going to Remember, carrying all of the people on his shoulders, going on their behalf, he is going to place the sins of the people on the scapegoat. And then it says, a man appointed for the task. I I don't know that I would want to be that man, right? I mean, this is kind of a loaded goat, if you will. I'm not sure that I want to be anywhere around the loaded goat. But he places his hands on the goat, and then it says, a man appointed for the task would lead the goat into the wilderness. Now, how often did this happen in history? Once a year. Once a year. So, imagine that you are a person, person in the nation of Israel, and you've been carrying this burden I mean, you, you've got this burden. Something that you have, a way that you have sinned against God. 
And you know that there's going to be a day when God can take that away from you. You know that that's going to happen. But it may be 11 months from now, or it may be, you know, 362 days from now. I don't know. It may be a week from now. I don't know what it is, but at some point you know this is going to happen. It's going to take it away. And then imagine, as you see the priest there, you've just spent 10 days in introspection, in, in you know, searching your heart and preparing yourself and you know that whatever that burden is that you have on the inside of you as the high priest lays his hands on the goat that's not just the nation's stuff that's your stuff that's your stuff it's going on this goat and then imagine as the the goat turns leaves and starts walking and it walks out Imagine the relief of knowing the goat's gone. It's gone. And all my stuff is on the goat. It ain't coming back. Imagine the freedom. Imagine the rejoicing that happens after the goat leaves. Imagine the, the sense of of awe and wonder and then imagine when later that afternoon an impure thought goes through your mind and it's like, oh no, 360 some more days. Look at the end of uh, Leviticus 16, uh, verse 29. It says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It's a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He's to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, the altar, and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. This is where it gets really personal for us. Hebrews, chapter 9. Hebrews is in the New Testament. This is on page 1189 in the the handout Bibles. Hebrews chapter 9, and what I'm going to be doing is just reading large portions of this. I'll stop and make some comments here and there, but I'd love for you to read along with me, and there will be some things that just jump out at you as we read this, and it's like, oh, ah, and understanding what we just read in Leviticus 16 will make a lot of sense in terms of the significance of the sacrifice that Jesus made once and for all. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11. When Christ came as high priest, stop there. The little red light on your dashboard ought to be going off. Wait, 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 Christ, I thought he was a savior. Yes, he was. Wait, Jesus, I thought he was the son of God. Yes, he was. 
But Jesus, it says, was a high priest. Okay? Let's continue. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. You remember the whole rigmarole that Aaron would have to, the high priest would have to go through to cleanse themselves, to make themselves holy before they were able to enter into the holy place. It says that Jesus, he didn't enter by the, the, the blood of bulls and, and goats. He entered by his own blood. He was not only the high priest, but he was the sacrifice. It says that he did it once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You want, to, you want to be right with God? You want to bridge the gap of sin, of death that's in your own life? The reasons that separate you from a holy God? It says the answer is not to be found in the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers. The answer is to be found in the blood of Christ. Verse 15, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. You ought, to, you ought to underline that in your scripture. This is, this is a new covenant. This is a new thing that Christ did so that we don't have to do that old thing. This is a new thing. And Christ is the mediator of it. He's, he's the one who authored it. He's the one who brought it here. He's the only one who can, who can save us through it. He is the mediator of this new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Fast forward to verse 24. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. You remember we said that the priest would go into the presence of God with what? With these stones of the people carrying him on his shoulders in this breastplate. When Christ went before God, your name is on his shoulders. Your name is on his chest. And he stands before God and he says, Father, forgive them. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that's not his own. Then Christ would have had to have suffered many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as a man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, 
not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Fast forward to chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the... This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. And I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Hallelujah. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. So I don't know about you, what uh, resonates with you here this morning. But what resonates with me is that I have a high priest who was acting on my behalf before a holy God. My name's on his shoulders. And I I think there's probably some applications... Um, for, for different people. Um, if, if you're here and you've never trusted as Christ as your Savior, I think you probably know what it feels like to have this gap between you as a sinner and a holy God. You know what that feels like. And you understand that there's no way that you can bridge that gap on your own, that you need a Savior. I imagine that you understand when 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 I say the word helpless of what that feels like when it comes to relating to God because you don't know how you could do that. You need to know that there's a high priest who wants to take your sin. You remember how that high priest would put it on the scapegoat? Jesus was the high priest and he was the scapegoat. And he took your sin and he left with it. It's gone. Scripture says he took it and he put it as far as the east is from the west. And if you need to do that here today, if you need to in some way say, Jesus, I need you to take my stuff. I need you to take it away from me. Why wouldn't you do that this morning? Um, in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a, in a coach in a little prayer. And if that's you and you would like to, like to pray along with me, I'd encourage you to do that. Then I imagine that there's a, another set of people that you believe and you trust that Jesus has taken away your sin. You believe that. You know that. But friends, I wonder what, uh, how many times in our lives we've put our stuff on the goat and the goat has left the building but then we pick it back up and we carry something that we were never meant to carry. See, in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement was once a year. Friends, Jesus died so that the Day of Atonement is every day. Go to Jesus. He doesn't want you to carry your burden any longer. 
He died to set you free. Let him, let him be your Savior. So um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and um, we're going to close with a final song. And as they come, I'm going I'm to pray. And today, if you would like to um, make Jesus your Savior, if you would like to, to say to Jesus, I want you to take away my sin, I'm going to coach you in a little prayer. And you can go ahead and pray along in your own way, in the quietness of your own heart. Would you all bow your heads with me? Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful that there is a way. Lord, I know that there, there may be some here today that know the helplessness and the despair of standing at the edge of that, that great gap that our sin has caused. And if that's you here this morning, you might say something like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that there is nothing that I can do to bridge the gap. But today I've heard that there's a high priest who made a way so that I can be saved from my sin. And today, Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you died on that cross, that you shed your blood once and for all, and that you rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death. And I believe in that today, Jesus. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. And Lord, for those in this room that are carrying burdens with them that you don't want them to carry anymore. Help us to let the goat leave. Help us, Lord, not to pick up those things any longer, but to trust you that you have taken those away. And Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers and we thank you that you are faithful. And now as we uh, close with this final song, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are going to come and take our morning offering as we close. And I'd invite you to drop the connect cards in the offering plate as it goes by. And would you stand your feet as we close with this final anthem of our faith, reminding us of the precious blood of our Savior Jesus. Nothing but the blood. What could wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes us white as snow. the blood of Jesus. For my pardon this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, 
Jesus taught us to pray. 